Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Welcome to another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, Extension Dairy Educator at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I am joined today by Dr. Marcia Andres. She is a dairy science professor and extension specialist in the Department of Animal Science at the University of Minnesota in the St. Paul office. Welcome, Dr. Andres. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Kim. I'm very pleased to be here. And today, Dr. Andres and I, we're going to talk about calf housing. For a number of years, we have seen cows housed in individual calf huts or individual stalls. And now we're starting to see more dairy farms transition cows from a couple days of age to group housing and paired housing. So today that's going to be our focus is talking about cows and housing, and we're going to look at all the housing options from housing calves individually to pairs to group and how that impacts their social skills as well as their production. And we'll talk about consumer perception on that as well, because I know Dr. Andres has completed some studies with consumers on the perception of the dairy industry on calf housing. Yes, that's been a relatively hot topic, if you will, in the dairy industry recently, because like you mentioned, most of our calves in the U.S. are still housed individually. And we started doing this for the reasons uh, of protecting them from getting infected by another calf. So we don't have calf-to-calf contact. We put them in hutches outside, have better ventilation, things like that. So it was, I think, a good thing to do when we decided to go in that direction years ago. However, like public is more interested in allowing animals to express their normal behaviors. And one of the behaviors of calves when they're little is that they like to interact with each other and they like to play with each other. And I think by putting them in a hut for 60 days until they get weaned and precluding them from that interaction is something that the consumer is concerned about or the public, I should say, not necessarily consumers, but the public in general. So we wanted to know, is there a difference in performance? Is there a difference in health? So what we find is if you look at the summary of studies that compared individually housed calves with either pair or group housed calves, I would say half of the studies actually show a benefit to performance. They actually gain more weight when they are group housed because their starter intake tends to go up. So you're feeding the same amount of milk. However, they learn from each other to eat more starters. So, and you might be feeding more milk too when you group house them. So basically the studies have shown some benefits in terms of performance or no difference. So it's it's almost half and half. Half of the studies show no difference in performance. Half of the studies show benefit in performance or started intake. Then we come to health. And health is a big thing, especially for veterinarians. As we think about putting two animals together that are very young, They don't have a very well-developed immune system. So that could be a problem, right? However, if you look again at studies done so far, if you have calves in pairs or smaller groups, even though the studies that have been done so far are not very large in terms of sample size, so we need a larger study yet. But for the most part, if you look at these studies, again, in groups that are smaller than, say, 10 calves, 8 calves, we do not see a difference in health 
eater. So I think that allowed some producers to feel more comfortable switching to groups. We need to be careful here that if we don't characterize the groups very appropriately, we get to these very large groups that sometimes manufacturers of automatic feeders recommend of 25, 30 calves. And in those situations, our research team has seen some issues with health. So those calves, because you have so many together, you are exposing them to more pathogens. And some of our large farms like that, especially the ones that have mixed age groups in these group housed situations, we see more disease. So again, important things to keep in mind, if you're going to group house them, ideally you want to have less than maybe 15 calves per group, if possible. We want to reduce the range of age within that group, ideally less than a week. And of course, a small dairy cannot do that. So a small dairy might have to pair house them instead of group house them. And we want to feed them enough milk because research in Europe especially has shown that if we do not feed enough milk per feeding in a group house situation or pair house situation, calves start sucking each other because they're not satisfied and they need to kind of satisfy their suckling behavior. So it's important that we feed enough per meal, I'd say at least two quarts, two and a half quarts per meal, and that we feed them. Ideally, if we can feed more than twice a day, it would be preferable. But if we're doing manually, it gets to be kind of difficult. There are some farms in Minnesota feeding three times a day, about two and a half, three quarts per time, so nine quarts per day. With automatic feeders or with ad libitum feeders, you can feed a lot of milk to them. So they're satisfied and they do not suck each other as much anymore. So your two and a half to three quarts per feeding. What age would you have that recommendation? Yeah, you're going to start right away, right? So we're going to speed them up, if you will. We start with a smaller meal for a very young calf. But I don't like going less than two quarts right away, actually. And then we can get it higher to like three quarts at a time. In automatic feeders, that's easier. Like I said, if you're doing manual feeding, there's different size of bottles now that you can use. So bottles that are two quart, three quart, even four quart bottles are huge. That's a great point. Often on dairies, we aren't feeding enough. I can't emphasize this enough. And the thought is, well, I'm not going to feed them as much milk or milk replacer, but I'm going to offer them a starter grain and hope that they take the starter grain at a younger age. And the purpose of that starter grain is to help with rumen development, right? Mm -hmm, And to transition them from the milk replacer. And so although the dairies are feeding less milk and milk replacer, the calves are still hungry because they're not taking that starter grain because it's not to compensate for nutrition that is not there from the lower milk replacer. Thank you for bringing that up. Until about three weeks of age, they don't eat enough starter, really. I mean, they're going to start nibbling on it about three days of age, right? They're investigating, eating a little bit of it, but there's not enough nutrition from that and the rumen is not yet developed, they're not going to get enough nutrients. And that's a myth that we have. You're right. No, we don't have to feed them milk because they're going to eat started, not at a very young age. So we need to kind of provide that nutrition from milk. After all, they're mammals and they drink milk when they're young. And once they start eating more and more started, then you can start weaning them. Ideally, you want to wean them gradually. So we don't just abruptly wean them. You give them less milk 
over a period of a week or so, 10 days in the feeders, that's what people normally do, or with feeding manually too. So you do gradually wean them so that stimulates those older calves that are closer to weaning to eat more starter. And that's what you want, right? Because then the rumen is more developed at that age. And calves do start ruminating really early. It's amazing. I go to these farms and I see a little baby calf that might be, I don't know, two weeks old and is already kind of ruminating. They do nibble and ruminate a little bit, but it's not enough. Thank you for bringing that up, Kim. So coming back to being possible from a management perspective on the farm, we wanted to know what the public thought about that. So we did do this research that you mentioned, where my grad student and I and some collaborators, colleagues, and other grad students that helped with this, we went to the Minnesota State Fair. And uh, Minnesota State Fair, we think of it, um, you know, supposed to be an ag fair, but it's really, a, I'd say, urban fair. <laughs> a lot of people that come to the state fair are people from the city. And we wanted to know what that urban population would think about calf housing. And so this was a very short survey, of course, because we're doing this at the state fair. People don't have time. They have to go get their fried stick of everything. <laughs> So anyway, they're busy, right? So we're told to keep the survey to a max of like 10 minutes. So we couldn't ask everything we wanted to. We were able to get about over 80%. So 83% of our population were urban or suburban. So we're very happy that most of the people taking the survey were more representative of the general public, if you will. And we had close to 1,800 people participating, and about 500 of those were young participants. We had two surveys, one for the 5 to 17-year-olds, and then one for adults. And interesting enough, when we ask about calf housing, and we were basically comparing individually housed with a pair and with a group, okay? Basically, the preference and acceptance was highest for group housing. And we didn't specify an age you know, we just had pictures of young calves. They might be probably a month old or so, maybe less, but they look small. So they know they're baby calves. And the reason we also asked why, why did you prefer this option? Why did you accept this option? Most of the responses that came in, so we classify them into different categories or themes, we call it. Pretty much the reasons were related to socialization. So calves have the ability to play with each other. And space allowance, because in a group, you need to have a little more space. So it did look to them that calves had more space to play and run, which it is the case if you have them in a group housing situation. So the public is really caring about these aspect that we maybe as, um, you know, animal scientists, veterinarians, producers, we think more of performance, right? We think of what well, they should be healthy. They should be growing. And yes, that's very important for welfare. But the public tends to go more in that direction of they want to have ability to express behaviors such as socialization, which research shows about three days of age, calves do socialize with each other, even in nature, which is very interesting. One of my colleagues in Canada, well, she was in, not in Canada at the time, but she did a project in Denmark where they had their cow's calf in a place where they could either calve in the open. Or they could go into a little hiding that was like a half wall thing. They could go behind and could hide and calf there. But interesting enough, they calved more in the open space. But then once the calves are born, they went behind this wall and they were by themselves with their calves for a few days. 
And that's interesting, right? It, it is interesting, you know, and yeah. I know exactly which research project you're talking about. Okay. I remember seeing some videos on that research and it is interesting, the behavior that they have. And if you think about that behavior the mother exhibited, it's so she can protect her calf, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Protect um, me from predators because they're so young. They're not yet capable to exercise or move as much. And also creating that bond with her and getting the colostrum and all that, right? It's very interesting. Yep. And then if you take that research a little further, if I recall correctly, if you had a couple moms that calved, they would hide their calves almost right next to each other. And the calves mm -hmm. would be interacting and playing together. But yet the mother still chose to hide the calves away from the open area for that protection. And yet behind the scenes, you could see the calves interacting and playing and being together. Right. So the way I kind of envision sometimes, I mean, we didn't ask in this particular survey with the public at what age we need to have calves together. And I think that would be very acceptable to them if we said, well, for the first three days or so, we have them individually, we kind of the foster parents. So we put them in a very clean space with straw, comfortable little house, if you will, <laughs> a little pen, right? And then we make sure that they're healthy and suckling well. And then we want to put them in a group where they can play with each other. Now they have peers and they have the ability to develop their social skills. Because the research has shown that calves that are in small groups like this, they are actually more socially adapted. They can take challenges a little bit more easily. They are, like I said, the intake of starter goes up because they learn from each other. They have a better cognitive function. So there are some potential benefits that we can get from having them together at a young age, not just after weaning. So I see this trend possibly in the future where the public's expectations, they're not dictating what we do, but they are expecting us to provide for a life that's a little more natural I don't know if they're going to be asking us necessarily to have them with the cow. The general public probably understands that we have cows to produce milk, and it's kind of creating that bond with the cow might be more actually stressful to the calf. So that's another big question that is coming up in our industries, like, oh, should we keep them with the cows? Actually, Brett Hines and I are doing a project looking at that, comparing um, calves with the cows, calves in groups, calves in pairs, and calves by themselves to see what we learn in terms of health and some of their behaviors and things like that. But if we can find that compromise, I don't think we should be jumping from individually housed to being with the moms. At least that's my personal opinion. Sorry. <laughs> if we can find that common ground in the middle, if you will, where they can be with their friends, you know, with their peers in, in a small group so they can learn from each other, that would be a good thing. I think the public would be happy to see. But I might be wrong on that. But I think that's kind of my opinion. What do you think, Kim? Do you think the public would be okay with that kind of a compromise, if you will? I do. I do. You know, in one of our challenges with agriculture, and I'm going to pose it as agriculture, is that most of the general public doesn't understand agriculture and what we do. But yet on the flip side of that, sometimes it's good for us to listen to what the general public has to say because they might have some solutions for areas that we can improve on that we didn't think about. It really is a two-way street and a two-way conversation. And I think as ag producers, we need to be open to listening and taking into account what the general public has to say. And I guess I want to transition a little bit to if there's any producers that are considering making the change to paired housing or group housing, just to see how it would impact social skills and growth and performance, you know, I would suggest to start small. Mm-hmm. 
start with a handful of calves, follow them through weaning and even beyond weaning, you know, Mm -hmm. until you put them into heifer pens, you know, watch their social skills, watch their growth weight and track how those calves compare to calves housed individually. And I know, you know, as you look at the studies and do your own research on the farm, I think there's many benefits to making that change. The greatest concern is the health of the calf. Mm -hmm, And the thought is, you know, with their immune system not being built up yet, let's keep them separate so we can really help them out. But by even pairing group housing in smaller groups, like the eight to 10 that you mentioned earlier, Marcia, you're helping to build that immunity even more and even stronger for those calves. Yes. That's the other thing to think about as well. And so open up a couple huts that are right next to each other and let a pair of calves just be together and see how that really impacts the other calves as well as the pair that you're looking at. So one warning, however, I have is that, yeah, there's some folks in Minnesota, even more in Wisconsin, because I have a colleague in Wisconsin, Jennifer Van Oss, that's been talking about this a lot. So there were some farms that actually went back to individual. And I think what happens when you put them in a pair, if you don't feed enough milk again, they start having a lot of sucking issues. And of course, we don't want that because we know those heifers will probably most likely have mastitis or lose a teeth, et cetera. So be forewarned. If you're going to put them in groups, try to not starve them. Try not to feed only four quarts a day, because if you feed only four quarts a day, which is still done quite a few farms, unfortunately, we're not going to be satisfied with that option. We're going to say this doesn't work. So be careful how you do this is my point. Yeah, and that's a great point that you raise is to make sure that the calves are receiving an adequate amount of feed. When we house them individually, we don't notice some of that suckling because they have nothing to suckle on except for maybe the panel around the hutch or, Mm -hmm. you know, the walls of the hutch or the lip of a bucket. Mm -hmm. So we don't observe that as much. And so that's a good point of you might need to increase their intake. You probably should increase their intake because that's one area of the dairy industry where we need to improve on is the amount of feed feed milk replacer milk that we are giving calves. That's, I think, is important. I've seen some of these research again in Europe and when you go to conferences where they're looking at behavior, the benefits of using teats rather than a pail. So if you have them, you know, using a bottle or a peach teats, they call it, where like is a bucket with nipples. So they can suckle on that. They will be less prone to suck each other. That's what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. because they have this Cycling reflex that is a natural behavior, if you will. And so if you provide them the opportunity to do that, that's going to be better. Also, the esophageal groove that closes up on calves drink milk when they're drinking from a bottle, that just works a lot better too. You're less likely to have issues with the calves or with any sort of milk going into the rumen instead and things like that. So again, another thing that I know is a little harder to clean and it's a bit of a pain. If you're a large dairy, you can buy a bottle washer, which are very good and work really well. A lot of the large operations have those. For a smaller operation, of course, I know cleaning those is a little more of a pain than pails. But I think there's some benefits too that we have not considered as much in our industry yet as they are in Europe a little bit more than here. So Marcia, would you recommend leaving a nipple in the pen? I have mixed feelings with that because sometimes that nipple, if you have, you know, two to eight calves, let's say, uh, using it, it becomes another way you might be transmitting things um, versus if you're feeding. But yeah, that's something that people have looked into. Can I put some sort of another thing for them to just play with, right? And suckle. Just having the nipples that are not super easy to drink from and no helps because they have to suckle a little bit harder. Potentially have something in the pen like that. But I know one of my colleagues in Canada did some work on that and found that those dry nipples, if you will, got 
quite contaminated for some reason, and that was not so great. So that oh, is yeah. not a super easy way. Calves like those brushes, you know, that's becoming more common. The little brushes for calves in group housing so that they go and play with that. So a little bit of distraction seems to help. But keep in mind that calves that are well-fed and satisfied, they will be sleeping or lying down 16 hours a day, 16 to 18 hours a day. They're resting and they then they play the rest of the time and they spend a little time eating. So they will be less prone to the sucking each other if they are satisfied, I think. Yeah, I think it's satisfied nutrition-wise and also boredom. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, if they're only resting 16 to 18 hours a day, there's still a large chunk of time to fill. If it's not with eating, then other ways for exactly. sure. But yeah, I think there's maybe a trend in this direction. Uh, and I'm not sure how fast we're going to switch from having about, we have about 65% of our calves in the U.S. are housed individually. I had that question at the Dairy Cattle Welfare Council about three years ago now. The question I had, the poll question was, this is a room full of veterinarians and consultants, a few producers. So how do you think calves will be housed in 20 years from now? And they said 72% of that audience said they'll be housed in groups. They'll be no longer housed individually. So I thought it was an interesting insight that I didn't expect veterinarians, like I said, most of them veterinarians in this room, to agree with the fact that we'll be probably housing them in groups because that's what the public probably will prefer and because we're learning how to do it better and make sure that they don't get sick and they can grow well. Do you see the veterinarians and nutritionists driving that a little bit more than producers making that decision on their own? Yeah, the veterinarians are very key advisors, if you will, on the farm, right? So if a producer asks their veterinarian, and I think a nutritionist might be more open to that, maybe veterinarians are more concerned with health, right? So if the veterinarian is kind of more used to the way things are and was cooled more years ago, and that was a concept, it's going to have to be individual. It might be something the veterinarian might say, no, 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 don't do that. Your calves will be all sick and you're going to have more high mortality, et cetera. So yeah, they're definitely an influencer. So I think that's why we need to have the veterinarian community looking more into this and understanding how can it be done right so that we can advise producers in the best way possible so they can be successful doing this. So veterinarian is very important on a farm, Kim. I think that's the person the producers listen to the most. I think we need to work more with veterinarians and kind of make them aware of all this research that we just talked about and how can it be done right. Hopefully that will help drive the industry in that direction. And eventually we're kind of fulfilling the preferences, if you will, of the public. Because like you said, they will be the ones ultimately consuming our product. And if we cannot demonstrate that we are doing the best we can to provide a natural life as possible to our animals, they might stop consuming our product, which is unfortunate because milk, cheese, yogurt, et cetera, there's so much more nutrition than some of the alternatives out there. So we don't want that taken away, if you will. That's right. That's right. And I know change is hard, but sometimes change moves us in some great positive directions. That's very true. I mean, we just need to not be so afraid of the unknown, if you will, and do it and try to do it the right way so that we're successful. It was interesting in our research that we did with automatic feeders, and we had 40 farms in that study, in that survey. We look at the the mortality rate overall in the country. It is around 6% yet, 5.5-6% according to the surveys. And our mortality rate for that study was all group housed cows um, was actually 3%. So we had half of the average. So of course, there were farms with a lot less than that. So saying that's not possible to have low mortality with group housing is actually not true. We have the data to show it. 
Well, thanks for the great discussion today, Dr. Andres. You know, calf housing is definitely one of those discussion items that's going to continue the next few years. I do see the industry transitioning more to paired and grouped housing. There's great benefits to that as well, from the socialization to growth to reduce mortality. And so any producers that are looking at or considering making that change, start small see how it works for you and your farm, what changes you need to make on, you know, feeding schedules, feeding quantities, and evaluate that first before you jump all in transitioning all of your calves to pair to group housing. So that's another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. Until next time. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.